Let's take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Ruth, uh, chapter 2. As you're turning there, I just want you to think about, what would you say are the 10 most consequential days in human history? If you were to make a list, the 10 most consequential days in human history. Now, you can give the Sunday school answers, and you can say, well, it would be, you, know, you might say, uh, it would be uh, the birth of Jesus, or the uh, crucifixion of Jesus, or the resurrection of Jesus. And you, with those Sunday school answers, you would be, they, those all three would make the top 10. Absolutely would agree with you. But aside from those very awesome, pertinent, right on, spot on answers, what other, uh, in, if you were to again make a list of 10 most consequential days in human history, what other days would you put? Uh, would you put uh, when the Athenians defeated the Persians in, the, uh, in that battle, uh, would, you, would you put that one? How many would put that one? Maybe you'd put, maybe you'd put the Boxer Rebellion, or you'd put the death of Genghis Khan, or you'd put the, um, her, you know, the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, or 9-11. I don't know what your list. What are the 10 most consequential days in human history? There are websites, there are books that, and I love history, so there's some really, really interesting uh, folks that have, have, have shared that. What would you say also would be the 10 most consequential days, not in human history, but your history? In your life, what would be the 10 most consequential days if you were to list those? For me, I would probably put the day that I ask a southern Tennessee girl brunette with a spiral perm that was huge to go with me to get peanut butter at the local Skaggs when we were in uh, going to college out in Oklahoma City. That is on my top 10 most consequential days. Hopefully it made her list as well, but it's definitely on my list. What would you say are the 10 most consequential days? So for Ruth, as we look at her life today, what we will see in chapter 2, I'm sure she would put as one of the most consequential days in her life. Let me give you a little background as, before we jump into chapter 2 and chapter 1. Chapter 1 was uh, set, the, the story begins in the time of the judges. This is before the kings, and so it was the time of the judges when uh, in the land of Judah, the, the kingdom of Judah, in the region of Bethlehem, there was a family. The, the, the dad's name was Emil... Elimelech. I was getting the M in there. I'm sorry. Elimelech. Okay. So, and I really practiced that, so I would have it down. So, I'm, I'm my bad. So, Elimelech. And so, Elimelech, uh, he, he and his wife Naomi, they decide that in this famine that had come into the land there around uh, Bethlehem, that they needed to, uh, to, to, to do something different. And so, they decide to leave the promised land where they were at and to go into the land of Moab. They take matters in their own hands, and, and we're just going to, we got, it's not working out here. We're going to go outside of the promised land, into Moab. And so they do that. And so they get there with their two sons. Their two sons end up marrying. And so now, uh, as they're there, things seem to be going pretty well until all three of the men die. Elimelech dies, and the two sons die. And so now we have Naomi in this foreign land with two daughters-in-law, and they get word that things now are going better in the area of Bethlehem where she's from. And so they decide they're going to go back. And so the two daughter-in-laws are going to with them. And then Naomi says, hey, there is nothing. You have no future with me. I don't have other sons over there. So there's no one else you can marry from my family. So you just need to stay here with your people. And, Ruth, and the one daughter-in-law does, but Ruth famously says this. And if you don't maybe have any other passages of Scripture in Ruth, 
that you are, uh, you, you know, you might know this one. And this is what Ruth says back to Naomi, her mother-in-law. She says this, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. This is verse 16 of chapter 1. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. So Naomi and Ruth now have come back to the region of Bethlehem. Ruth has embraced uh, the God of the Bible, and, and she's, your God is my God, she says. And so now they are back in this area around Bethlehem, and we see in chapter 2, verse 1, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So Boaz, Scripture tells us, is related to Naomi's husband that has died, Elimelech. Now notice how Boaz is described here in this first verse, that he's a worthy man. Other translations, if you're reading another different translation, you might, it might have some uh, phrase like uh, describing him a man of standing, a prominent rich man, a man of great wealth. All of that can be translated from that Hebrew phrase that the ESV translates a worthy man. So he's He's, 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 a, he's an important person, a person of means. Boaz, in the time when Elimelech and Naomi had decided, you know what, things are too hard here. We're going to go outside of the promised land, and we're going to try to do things on our own. Boaz decided to stay where he was at and trust the, the care and the provision of God and notice that it really went well for him as opposed to what happened with Elimelech and Naomi. And I would just say as a sidebar, it is always better to try not to do our own thing, but to trust in God's provision, even when it gets tough. In verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the clan of Elimelech. Now notice again this reminder that Ruth, who is Naomi's, not, is her daughter-in-law, is not one of them, that she's different, that she's not a Jew, that she's a Gentile from Moab. And to give a little color commentary on what's going on, things were not good between the people of Moab and the Jewish people. And for millennia, that's the way it had been. We won't get into all the why of that, but it just was not well. So Ruth is here as a foreigner, and the tension would have been high for her as this outsider. But Ruth knows she has to do something. She, there's got to be, she's got to provide for her and Naomi. We've got to figure something out. And so she says, how about, it's harvest time, how about I go into the fields while, the harvest, while they're harvesting, and I'll glean from the fields. And that's what she, that's the plan, that, that what's going to happen. Now, gleaning, if you're not familiar with that, is when the, they're harvesting, and they were harvesting, this, in this instance, barley. And so as they're harvesting that barley, people would go behind the harvesters or the reapers, and when they would drop something or leave something behind, they would pick it up and they would take it. And that's what she's doing. And this is a way that God had provided in the law of the Old Testament for the poor to be taken care of. We see it in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, that says this, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, so leave the corners, in other words, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. So don't pick up what you've dropped, in other words. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And what we see is that God in his word had provided a way to care for the poor. Now, something else to note at the end of verse 3. It says that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to 
to Boaz. And in this story, we're going to see how God just does this uh, beautiful weaving of his will to accomplish what he needs to globally in this great meta-narrative of, of human history, bringing a, a redeemer and Christ coming and, and all of that. And we're going to see, and it's super cool, how, God, how this is all related and how it all ties together. But also there is this lower story, which is the story of Ruth and Naomi and how they are hopeless and they're on their own and they know what they're going to do and how God provides. And so her happening to come to end up in Boaz's field, we're going to see is absolutely part of God's plan. And I would just encourage you, if you love God and if you're trying to serve God, that, you know, all, it doesn't always happen when you're, when you're in the middle of it. But if you look back, you will be able to see, just like Ruth and, Boaz, Ruth and Naomi were, I'm sure, be able to see later, how what they thought was just something that just was randomly happening to them was actually part of God's plan and God's purpose for them. So be encouraged that God does, as Scripture tells us, work all things for our good if we'll just trust him. And so behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. It just, it's a little glimpse into Boaz's character. He shows up. He's the guy in charge. This is his fields. He's got all these workers in the field. And when he shows up, notice his greeting. Notice that he's a godly man. The Lord be with you, he says to his workers as he shows up. I'm sure as, at, when your boss came this week and when he came into your office wherever or wherever you work, that his greeting to you was, the Lord be with you. Is that what, you, is that what happened when you came? You, you rose up out of your little cubicle and you said, and the Lord be with you as well, boss person. Is that how it, it just shows us? This is interesting. Just God, that, that he was a godly man. It shows how he treated his workers with respect, that he's giving this blessing to them, and they're reciprocating, they're responding in kind. Verse 5, and then Boaz said to the young man who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Now, how do you hear that in your head when that's read? When you read that, that question that Boaz asked the young man who's in charge of all the people that were working, when he says, whose young woman is that? Do you hear it in just this, this sterile kind of a questioning? Well, I noticed that she's different. She's not been here before. Who is that? Or when you read that, do you hear in your head something more along the lines of, whose young woman is that? How do you, how do you, how you read that? Uh, matters. Like, like, can you imagine him standing there like, okay, what's her relationship status? Are you aware of, of uh, is she with someone? Is she involved with someone? Maybe I need to slide into her DMs, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you, in the vernacular. So, so what, what do you hear in that? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, well, she's a young Moabite woman who came back from Na with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So the servant again, and you'll notice throughout this whole chapter that she continues to be referred to as this outsider. She's this person from Moab. She's this outsider. She's the young Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. She came back with one of our people, but she's the stranger. Notice in verse 7 that she's already got a bit of a reputation that she's a hard worker. He said, well, she's been, she came early in the morning. She's been working hard. She took one short rest, but, well, she's a hard worker. 
And then notice also what it says. It says that she asked if she could work in this field, if she could glean in this field, which the law says that you have to let, it, it was a command, you have to let people that are poor and, and struggling, you have to let them glean from the field. And so if he, she's asking the question before she starts to glean, if she can, obviously there were people in their day that even though the law said it, they didn't do it. Even though the law said to be generous and even though the law said to help those that are less fortunate and those in poverty, that there were some people that decided, you know what, I, I, and out of this scarcity mentality, I have to keep everything for myself. And what's interesting is that some things never change. Even though we've been commanded to be generous and to be willing to help those around us, those are less fortunate, to, to be salt and light in our world, that that doesn't always happen, that we live, some of us, with a scarcity mentality, and we do not live generously. And so because of that, she has to ask if it's okay. But because Boaz, Boaz's people knew that that's the kind of heart he had, she lets him, even before Boaz had showed up, she lets, uh, he, he lets her get in the field and begin to glean. And so she's been working hard. She's been picking up what they have been dropping. And then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughters, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but, 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 but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, I think probably in the first, you know, few verses, we're far enough into it. Do you see what's happening? How many people love to watch a Hallmark movie? Anybody, anybody have the Hallmark channel? Can't you, can't you get the whole channel? Like you can watch Hallmark movies all day, every day. Anybody got the Hallmark channel? It's okay. This is a no judgment zone. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so in, you're, you can be 10 minutes into the Hallmark movie and you know the, the guy with the, the flannel shirt is going to get with the woman that's from New York City, that's the ad executive that just came in, and, and she lives in downtown New York, and she's going to, they eventually, those two are the two that are going to get. Ten minutes in, you know, that's going to happen. We are just a, a few verses into this chapter, and we know how this is going to work out, right? Do you see the handwriting on the wall? Boaz talks to Ruth, and notice he doesn't label her as an outsider. He doesn't label her as a foreigner. How does he refer to her? Not as a Moabite, not as a foreigner, but my daughter. And he then relates how he's going to watch out for her. He's going to protect her. He's going to provide for her. Even beyond what the law called for, he is going to treat her with extravagant generosity. Just stay here in my fields. I'll watch out for you. I've already told my men not to bother you, not to harm you. And if you get thirsty, uh, this water that usually is just reserved for, for, for my workers, you go over there. They won't bother you. You can drink whatever you want to drink. I'll have my young men, and in a culture when it was the women and the slaves or whatever that, that drew the water, I'll have my young men draw the water, and you go get whatever you want. You can drink from, from my water. And this reminds me of us. This is who we are as a church. This is who we need to strive to be. That when people uh, interact with us, when, when, people, when we, uh, people come into our fields, into our spheres of influence, people that have needs spiritually and relationally and economically and physically and financially, whatever their needs are, that we don't treat them as outsiders, that we don't look down on them, we don't label them, we love them and provide for them just like family. That's how Boaz treated her. 
my daughter, he says. And then she fell on her face in verse 10, bowing to the ground and said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And her response is just, she understands the enormity of the generosity that he's providing, that it goes, again goes above and beyond anything that she really could have expected. And so she falls on her face and she bows to the ground and she even names herself as a foreigner. Since I'm a foreigner, she says, that's how she labels herself. And just remember, her husband has died. Her father-in-law has died. She has no real way in this culture, if you think about what's going on in their culture. She has no way to care for her, and she feels the responsibility of, of caring for herself, but, but for caring for her mother-in-law. And she feels the weight of that. And how am I going to do that? And she's in this foreign land, and she sees herself as a foreigner, and she has a poverty of relationship and a poverty of, of, of just things and stuff and has no land, has no way to pr- pr- protect herself or, or to provide for herself. And Boaz, in this story, is satisfying all of that with his extravagant generosity. But Boaz answered, All you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord, Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. So we live in a culture where, where we look at beauty and it's all too often defined by, by the outside, the physical. But notice how Boaz describes what he has noticed in her, that she's a woman of character, that she's chosen a more difficult life out of love for Naomi and that she's embraced a love for Naomi's God who has become now her God. And all of that has paved the way for her to find protection and provision from God and the blessing of God under or through the blessing that Boaz gives her. And I love what verse 12 says, the Lord repay you for what you've done for Naomi, a full reward from God. And in this little phrase, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. This past year, Chris and I had the privilege of going and celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. We had to put that off a year. COVID, we had a trip planned and that got canceled anyway. So 30 uh, years, actually on year 31, we got to celebrate our, uh, our marriage and so we were in the Cayman Islands, and we had this little place, and there was a, a balcony, and you could look, and you, the sun would come up, and we'd sit on that balcony, and we'd just spend some time with the Lord, and just in quietness, the two of us, and we watched the sun come up. And there was, years ago, I don't know when, what year it was, there was a hurricane that had come through the Cayman Islands, and there was a prison there, and the prison, the way they fed the prisoners was, they had chickens in these chicken coops. And when the hurricane came through, the chicken coops were destroyed, and the chickens were scattered, and because they were so busy putting the pieces of, the, of the, the island back together that they didn't worry about the chickens, and so the chickens just multiplied. And if you go to Cayman Islands, there are chickens everywhere. I mean, everywhere, okay? And so we would get up in the morning, we'd sit on that balcony, and there was this rooster that would come out first. And this rooster would do his rooster thing, and he would just announce to the world, it's time to get up, as he, you know, would do his, what's it called, a, a call, what is the cock-a-doodle-doing, or whatever the, you call the thing that the roosters do. And so he was doing this rooster thing, and then after he got done doing this rooster thing, then, the, then there was this hen that would come out, and she had these three or four little chickens, little chicks. 
And she would come out, and, they, and it was just right. We could see them. They were right there, and, and they would all be pecking around eating or whatever. And then she would just sit down, and then all the little chicks would just go, and they would, they would get under her, they would sit under her, and they'd be there under her wings. And every now and again, you'd see this little chick, and he would poke his head up and just look around, and he'd poke his head back down. And it was just the cutest thing. Crystal's got a picture. She's got it on her phone. I tried to get it. We should have showed it. But uh, anyway, it's just the cutest little thing. And that's the picture I have of what he's saying. Under whose wings, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's the picture. May God reward you. May, may you find refuge in the Lord, is what Boaz is pronouncing to her. And then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And, and so she's just, again, acknowledging all that Boaz has done for her, the comfort, the kindness that he's shown her that's been directed uh, towards her. Uh, all the workers have been told, you don't mess with her, you don't, you don't bother her, you, you help her, you draw water for her, all these things. Uh, several years ago, I had an opportunity to go and do the invocation at the state house, at the Capitol. And when you go in to get on the, the floor of the, uh, where the legislature meets, there's guards that are there. And when I walked up, it wasn't like, oh, Pastor Colt, we're so glad to see you. Come on in. That was not what happened. The only way that I got in to the floor at the legislature is because I was with our representative at the time, Al Pasholka. And they say, oh, hey, Al. And he said, oh, he's with me. And so we went in together. Because of Boaz, not because of who Ruth was, she was provided and cared for and all of that. And that's what we see in this story. Because of Boaz. As we think of this story, this relationship that we have. This relationship that's because of him. That all of that, the protection, the provision... It was all because of him. Verse 14, And at mealtime Boaz says to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So again, Boaz, he's going above and beyond, and he calls her over to his table, and he says, hey, hey, eat here with us. And it was, it was him and, and his people, his, 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 his servants, the people that work for him, and he invites her to his table. He's providing for her from his table with the rest of his people, and, and, and he gives her, and does it not sound amazing to have some nice roasted grain? I mean, when was the last time you had some, some roasted grain? Does that make your mouth water, just thinking about it? And she is... She eats it, and she's satisfied, and she even asks, hey, can I have a to-go thing? Because I want to take the rest of my roasted grain home with me. And so they give her the to-go thing, and so she, she puts the roasted grain away for later because we know, all know how awesome and amazing roasted grain is warmed up. Uh, and so she gleans in the field, it says, until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it and she went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she also brought, out, brought it out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And I just want us to pause and just recognize she worked really, really hard. And it reminds me of our, just our approach to helping those in need throughout our community. 
that, that we, we're not in to just giving handouts all over the place, but we want to, in a very dignified way, help people and to give that hand up, as has been said, just like we see here. And her hard work has paid off, and, and, and it's been an amazing day, and she's harvested, harvested the equivalent of like 10 two liters, just to give you some perspective. Most of us don't know what an ephah of barley looks like. And so imagine two, uh, 10 two liters filled with barley, and that's what she's harvested. And so she shows it to Naomi. It'd be equivalent to a couple of weeks worth of food for her and Naomi. And she shows it to her. And after she's just amazed by that, then she pulls out the to-go box and says, and check this out. Have some of this roasted grain. That's what she said. The leftovers. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where, where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. I mean, Naomi can't believe it. I mean, who, where did you work? How did you get all of this? Clearly, someone's noticed you. Clearly, someone has, has shown favor to you. And then she says, well, that his name was Boaz. In the beginning of the story, remember? Remember what the little phrase was? That she happened into this field. And so we realize that her happening into this field was God's grand provision. It's his work. He was working this out. He, Boaz is a is a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. We'll hear about that more in subsequent weeks, but a redeemer was someone, again, another provision that God put in his law. That if someone, a family member had fallen into difficult times, maybe they, had, they were in slavery, and so the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, could step in and buy that family member out of slavery. Or maybe uh, they could purchase land back that had been lost during some time of trouble. A kinsman redeemer would do that. Or to marry a relative to save them from some dire circumstance. And so again, we realize it was not random that he, she ends up in his field. This is God's hand at work. And friends, this is the way he works in our lives as well. What we think is random and we think is, we don't understand, is God at work. And so the Ruth and Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you should go out with his young women, lest in some other field you be exalted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Naomi and Ruth were taken care of by the generosity, the extravagant generosity, the provision, the protection of Boaz. Boaz, into this situation that for them, as they had lost everything, and they come back to this land, and they have nothing, and they have no hope, that God provides hope through Boaz. Through the generosity, the extravagant generosity of Boaz. Three quick things as we conclude. First lesson that we need to take with us today from the field, that we have a redeemer whether we realize it or not. Ruth goes out to glean, and her thought is, I've got to work hard. I've got to pick some scraps up from this field, and hopefully maybe I'll have enough for, for Naomi and I to just barely survive. But God was way ahead of her. And we'll see in subsequent weeks that God was providing even more, and Boaz is going to become this redeemer, and we'll talk about what all that means. But some of us 
we're in the same boat that we've wandered away and we've done things our, our, our own way on our own agenda and we're trying to live this life on our own with our own strength, with our own plan. And can we trust that God has a plan for us? Can we trust that God has a redeemer for us? That there is a Boaz that God has in our story. That Christ is our redeemer. And Boaz is this picture of Christ, this picture of a redeemer in the Old Testament that we see. And he wants to protect us and wants to provide for us and wants to redeem us back into his family. And the question is, for us, have we accepted the grace and the kindness and the favor and the forgiveness of our redeemer, Jesus? You can't, don't have to do it on your own. Will you surrender and let Christ be your redeemer? You have a redeemer, whether you realize it or not. Second thing to take with us today, second lesson from the field. God is playing chess while we're playing checkers. That's what we see in the story. God was way ahead. So, so, so Ruth and Naomi, they're playing checkers. So if we go to this field, and, and if I just get enough, maybe I can have enough that we can survive. And, and they're just thinking this one step, and God, the great grandmaster of the universe, the, the chess grandmaster, has it all figured out. And he's got pawns, and he's got bishops, and he's got queens, and he is working and, and, and moving and manipulating around this great grand meta-narrative of what he's doing in our world. And then also he's got our lives, and it's all intertwined and he can figure it all out can we trust that when we are playing checkers and trying to just figure it out on our own if we will trust him that he's got us and just like we will see in this story later on and i'm sorry i'm going to ruin the end of the story but we will see that ruth this foreigner this outsider she will become the descendant of of david king david will come from her line and then King David, we know Jesus comes from his line. So what we see is this outsider God puts right in the middle that reminds us that he wants all of us to be in a relationship with him. This foreigner, this outsider, this person from Moab, he brings into his lineage and the Savior would come. And he took care of her in the, in the, in the immediate as he was working this great, grand, bigger story. And can you trust today that as you try to play checkers, that there is a God that loves you that's way far, so many steps more ahead, and if you will trust him with your life. And the last thing, that we need a Boaz, and we need to be a Boaz. All of us need a Boaz in our lives. All of us need a Savior. All of us need someone stepping into our lives, providing for us, protecting us. And that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Boaz is this picture of the Redeemer, of Jesus in the Old Testament. Have you allowed him to be your Redeemer? And we all need a Redeemer. We need to be a Boaz. But it doesn't stop there. That as we have been shown extravagant generosity, that that's who we must be in our world. And we don't live with a scarcity mentality that's all about how much I can get in this world. But as I have been blessed, am I willing to, in my world, then look around and to see that there are people, that there are people that have ended up in my field, they're in my sphere of influence, and instead of me gleaning or harvesting all the way to the corners, all the way to the edge, and taking it all for myself, that I'm going to leave some, and I'm going to live my life with extreme, extravagant generosity. We invite our worship team to come back up. And as they're coming back up, I just want to ask you a simple question. Who is God calling you 
to be a Boaz too. And as you process that question, just as you think about this story, the story of Ruth, it's a beautiful picture of how grace works in the fields of grace. God working through Boaz to provide a redeemer. And as we conclude today, we have an opportunity to celebrate Jesus. We've got some people, some of our staff, that they, they, we have communion. Hopefully you got one as you came in, one of these. And if you're with us online, uh, you can just find something at home where you're at and encourage you to take communion. We're going to do it in just a minute. But they, they'd love to walk around and give you uh, some communion. You can just make eye contact with them as they make their way around the room. But God has worked to provide a redeemer for us. And so we have a chance to celebrate our Redeemer Jesus. The bread representing the body of Christ broken for us. The cup representing the blood of Christ shed for us. Through his sacrifice, becoming our Redeemer on the cross. And so just like Boaz, remember the story, what does Boaz do? He invites this foreigner, this person that he he doesn't have to, but he invites her to his table. This today, this is the Lord's table. And so if you're a follower of Christ, I would invite you to the Lord's table. It's not my table, it's the Lord's table. You're welcome to take communion with us today. And so as you are invited to his table, he has provided for you. Remember that he also said to her, and if you need some water, you just go over there and you can drink. And what did Jesus say? I am the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. And that's what we celebrate today. And so as we sing this final song, I would invite you to Just prepare your heart to be ready. If there's something you need to confess, something you need to talk to the Lord about, you do that in the quietness of this worship time. And then when you're ready, you peel that back, you take the bread and take the cup. And so in Jesus' name, I pray, Father, that you would bless the bread and the cup, that you would help it to remind us. This is not just just something that we do around here, but God, that this would be a profound worship experience. Fathers, we remember that Jesus is our Redeemer, that he gave his life for us. And so, Father, we choose now to worship. We choose to remember. We choose to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, remind us as we take these elements that represent the extravagant generosity of yours, you would help us, Father, to commit to be extravagantly generous in our world as well as we celebrate the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.